0: Turn with me to, to, there you go. Notice the level of enthusiasm. Turn to the gospel of Mark again. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the gospel of Mark. Today we're in chapter 14. Our text will be found in verses 43 through verse 50. Um, I congratulated uh, Dan and Amy on their engagement in the first service, and they're still here in the second service, so we need to congratulate them. And you're still engaged, right, since earlier? Good, good, okay. I think they just want everyone to notice, okay? Make sure you greet them and congratulate them. I am so uh, thankful that today... uh, is a beautiful day, a summer day. The sun is shining. If this text was like in the dark days of February or March, I think it would be really hard for us because this is a heavy, heavy text. Um, It concludes with what? And they all left him and fled. So although there is a heaviness here, Um, we take a hard look at a hard text. There is amazing and wonderful and gracious and great truth that is certainly applicable for all of us. We'll see how even in the darkest moments, I think in all honesty, arguably in all of scripture, we will see two events, a kiss, a kiss that stings, a kiss that comes from a traitor a kiss that ultimately leads to death. And we also see a sword, a sword, literally a hunk of sharpened metal grabbed in anger and frustration, a sword that will draw blood. We'll see, even in the midst of those circumstances, even in the worst of circumstances, we will still see what that God is completely in charge that God is in complete control, that God can be trusted, that God has a plan. And I want to remind you of this: God has a good, good plan, even in the midst of hard times and tough times and dark times that we will see and we'll read in just a moment. I I don't know about you, but I am in constant need of the Lord's help. And so as we open, Lord willing, our hearts our minds, um, our eyes and our ears to, to see and to hear. We need to pray and ask that God would do just that and ask for his help. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we are grateful for these few moments that you have given to us to be together in your house. I thank you for the beauty of this day and this time of the year. I thank you, Lord, for every single person that has gathered together. Thank you, Lord, that we can lift up our voices and we can praise you for how, how great your faithfulness is. And Lord, even in, in difficult moments, perhaps moments that even some individuals who are sitting here this morning are in the midst of. We know this text is a heavy, dark moment. And yet, Lord, you are in complete control and your sovereign reign is on full display. And we rejoice in that. And Father, we need your help to trust you, to to put our plans aside. Father, to to admit the fact that we are so limited in, in, in our strength, in our resources, in our knowledge, that it is only and fully by trusting in you that offers hope. We thank you for the amazing message of the gospel, the good news that never gets old. God, we need your help as we learn to minister better, in the community you've called us to be a part of. And Father, part of that is learning even right now more about you. And so I would ask, Lord, that your perfect will would be accomplished. Please, Lord, give me the help that I am in desperate need of. Please guard my mind and my mouth. May everything that is said and done be for your glory. Lord, may you speak and may your children hear. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Amen. And amen. Okay, a little bit of a step back. If you recall, we ended last week. Jesus was in the garden with his disciples. Um, Jesus had just predicted, knowing that Peter was going to fail, fall, fall asleep. Jesus knew that the disciples were going to abandon him. Jesus even knows that you and I at times will abandon him. Yet Jesus still stayed on his knees, bearing the full weight of the wrath of his heavenly father. And as Jesus not only predicted, we saw that Jesus prayed faithfully. He didn't give up on us. Praise God for that. He was obedient and submissive, fulfilling his father's, Perfect will. And it's now in this garden, late at night, well after midnight, in, in Gethsemane, the place that literally means where where oils are pressed and olive oil is made. We know that there's the, the collision, a literal collision of what the, the deity of Jesus that collides with the humanity of Jesus. And he just pours out his heart. He opens up his heart. And we see his care and concern. We see love and submission and obedience. We ended last week by reading these last few verses. Jesus says it is enough. The hours come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See my betrayer is at hand. There's quick kind of staccato type comments. I've, I've read that there's a military tone to Jesus's words here. Derek Thomas, in his book, Icthys, writes, and I quote, all of his preliminary training is now complete. Jesus has passed every test, and now he takes his place for the final battle, resolved, determined, submissive, and yielding to his heavenly Father's will. Now let the final battle commence. Soon the serpent will be trampled underfoot. According to ancient promises, that's the reminder I leave with you this morning. That 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 as we leave this place in a few moments, we know that what according to ancient promises, this is going back to Old Testament messianic prophecy that it says in Psalm chapter ninety-one, what that the serpent you will trample underfoot. It says in verse thirteen that that that. There is a plan in place here, and it has been planned, prophesied, recorded, and it is being executed exactly as God has designed. And so what we have to remember is that there's not going to be one moment, there's not one minute, there's not one second, and it's going to get ugly. There's chains. And there's whips and there's beating and scourging. There's spitting in the face of Jesus and cursing him and mocking him. All of this will commence in this very moment. And yet as horrible, as horrid as this scene is that will unfurl before us, there's not one minute that is outside of God's control. It has been perfectly planned. Planned. One of the most well-known verses in all of scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his own son. Remember who's in charge here. It is God who is doing the giving. Okay, Satan is not writing the plot here. Judas is not writing the plot. The Pharisees, religious leaders, God is writing every detail. And it will be fulfilled according to his plan. And we have to remember that. Pay attention as I read our text beginning in Mark chapter 14, verse 43. I'll read down through verse 50. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the 12. And with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And they all and they laid hands on him and seized him. Three points I want to give to you this morning from this narrative. The first one is this we see a kiss that reveals betrayal. A kiss that reveals betrayal. It talks about the fact that when he came, he went up, speaking of Judas to him at once, and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. I don't know about you, but but there's 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 just a problem with this scene of this betrayal a kiss a kiss is something that is reserved for love and for affection i can still i can still remember the time many many years ago when wendy and i were sitting we were on a picnic table and the sun was going down we happened to be sitting on the edge of a baseball field go figure And, and I remember long, long hours of conversation. And as the, as as it was getting later in the evening and I leaned in and I, I was a gentleman. I asked the question, may I kiss you? She said, no, you may not kiss me. (laughs) It's like your world comes, like comes crashing down. Like this is, this is not according to plan here. She made me wait one more day, but I did get that first kiss. (laughs) You know, there's something about this whole idea. It just doesn't fit. A kiss is something that is special. It's reserved for affection. We have this scene here, and I don't think there's any doubt that the representatives of the Sanhedrin, there's the chief priests. We know later that if the the chief priest's servant, Malchus, is there, I'm assuming the chief priest, Caiaphas himself, is here, part of this group. The elders are here. The scribes are here. The who's who of the religious rites. And yet what's very interesting is that they are terrified of Jesus. They are clearly intimidated and fearful of him. Note the deliberate and excessive use of force. A crowd... With swords and clubs, not only in intent to protect themselves, they want to make sure there's enough muscle to get the job done. They are armed to the teeth. And yet what is interesting is that, and Jesus says, I've been sitting with you and teaching you in the temple. That never once has Jesus ever encouraged violence. There's no talk of rebellion or protest or bloodshed and yet they're coming at him as a gang seeking what seeking simply to rid the world once and for all of this one menace to them this menace who has claimed to be the messiah What is interesting is if you fast forward to today, 2,000 plus years later from this scene, do you realize that there are still people who are furious, who come at anyone who claims what? That Jesus is the Messiah. It still irritates. It still bothers. And there are still people coming with clubs and swords after our own brothers and sisters who are suffering persecution in many places in this world today. You realize just like that scene, we understand what is what is being presented. According to scriptures, there's a prearranged signal, a sign, the Greek word is sismon, that was to be given as a means of identifying very specifically who Jesus was amongst the rest of the disciples. And this sign was to be this kiss. Practically speaking, it suggests two things. It suggests, A, some of the people who who had the clubs and the swords, they didn't really know who Jesus was. Perhaps they've heard of him. I'm certain that they've heard of him. This is before the, the time of Instagram selfies. There's not pictures plastered all over the place. So they want to make sure that they arrest the right guy. It's dark out. Secondly, in the sense what? It suggests, practically speaking, that 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 with the torches moving and with the bustle and hustle of the crowd of people, they want to make sure that they get this right. There's another reason, I think personally, that there's something unusual about this kiss. It's unusually evil. In a sense, it reveals something of a deep wretchedness about this, this man, Judas. If we go back earlier in the narrative, we do read what? There was one particular time when, when Judas had been with Jesus in the upper room and identified as the betrayer. It literally says what? Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was numbered among the 12. Satan enters. That there is what? There's this idea of the great serpent, a snake kills with its mouth. And so we see here arguably what this is, this is the greatest betrayal of all times. As a matter of fact, the phrase that we will use and oftentimes here in our English language, the kiss of death, it is derived from this event right here. Why, Why couldn't, why couldn't Judas have just pointed the one I point to, that's the one you should arrest. why, Why couldn't Judas just said, the one I tap on the shoulder, I'm going to tap him on the shoulder. It'll be the right shoulder. I'll tap on it. The one that I tap on, arrest him. Why was it? None of those things. Something deliberately deceptive. Rabbi. It's a sign of respect. Rabbis were oftentimes greeted by their students, by their followers, by by their disciples with a kiss. But there's no honor here. There's no respect here. It's not about selfishness. It's about greed. Judas turns over the Messiah because in his mind, he knows I'm going to get 30 pieces of silver. I'm going to get a chunk of change from this. I've often thought about this one, Judas. I'm quite certain that he never aspired to this. I don't think, as a little boy, he said, "Yeah, I want to grow up and be the one who turns over, who betrays the the, the Messiah." As a matter of fact, I, I honestly believe at some point, Judas must have desired to follow Jesus. He was counted as one of the 12. I'm quite certain, just like the other disciples, there was a moment that, that Judas said, I'm in. I will leave my family. I'll leave my home. I'll leave my livelihood and serve. I want to be here to serve. Judas was there in amazing moments. Remember, Judas was in the boat in the middle of what? The Sea of Galilee with that horrific storm Jesus was just at peace sleeping. And Judas saw when Jesus woke up and spoke to the wind and the seas. And they were amazed. Perhaps he was there. Who is this one that even the wind and the seas obey him? Judas was there as part, what, of that work detail with baskets of of bread and fish passing them out to thousands, thousands of hungry people. Judas was part of the ministry, part of the inner circle, the team, those closest. And yet something happened. I think think what happened to Judas is the same thing that can happen to many people. Judas allowed the tiny root, the seed of sin, to take place. We know that John's gospel recorded what? That Judas was a thief. He had charge of the money bag and he used to help himself to what was put into it. I'm I'm quite certain it's, it probably started with something that's kind of simple, kind of almost innocent. Yeah, I need a little bit here. And so I'm going to take this. No one, no one will know. No one will see. And I'll take this and I'll replace it. And no one did notice or so he thought. And so he took more from the money bag and he took more from the money bag. And in a sense, he allowed that little tiny sin to continue to progress to such a point that if you go to this moment at the end of the day, think about this. Betraying Jesus came what more easily for him than confessing sin. May may that never, ever happen again. To any one of us. May that never be the case with us, where we allow sin in a sense to take root and literally control and destroy. There's this sign, this kiss, it says after that, they laid hands on him and they seized him. Leads us to our second point. What not only do we see a, a kiss, but we see, secondly, a sword. That reveals failure. But one of those, it says in verse 47, who stood by, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Mark, we know, is what? it It is the streamlined, the most streamlined of all the gospels, the shortest version. Mark does not name who this person is. As a matter of fact, neither does the gospel of Matthew or the gospel of Luke. They just said what one of them, but leave it to John. John is always naming names. And John says this in John chapter 18, verse 10, one of them, um, Simon Peter having a sword drew it and struck the high priest servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. John just names everyone. He knew everyone. I don't know if there's ever, I don't know if there's any other text in all of scripture that speaks what to mankind's feeble attempts to help God out. I think this, 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 action from Peter in a sense he is putting all of humanity on display how at times we think God you you know what you're gonna need yeah I'm gonna have to help you on this one because you really don't have what and in a sense he reveals how weak how foolish like the ultimate miss here like just the embarrassment of lopping off a guy's ear it's just weakness it's humanity on full display Now, I am, in all honesty, it's probably like many of you, I'm a fan of Peter. I love him. I mean, there's this impetuous, there's this this unbridled, this unharnessed. And I think that we can, in our own flesh, we can be tough on Peter. Come on, man, put the sword away. Who are you trying to save? Save the Savior? Like, it doesn't work like that. But let's kind of, let's put ourselves in, in Peter's sandals for a moment, what was the last time, what, what was happening? We have three different accounts earlier, verse 37, verse 40, and verse 41. What was Peter doing alongside the other disciples? It says in, in, in Mark 14, 37, are you asleep? Jesus is asking him. Guys like snorries, drooling, are you asleep? It says what in in, in verse 40? And again, he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. Verse 41, Jesus says again, are you still sleeping? Now, before we get too upset with Peter, I want you to think about yourself for a moment in this particular situation. Have you ever been sound asleep before? Like dead, you're deep. You're like what? Third, third level of REMs. What is you know the rapid eye movement? Like, I'm really out, and all of a sudden you've been jarred awake. How, how how sharp are you in that moment? I'm sure you've been there at some point. I don't I don't know many people that are morning people. I this, I am not. There's really not even a lot of morning people in our whole family. We're just not a morning family. It's kind of like you know grunt, hello, get some orange juice and coffee. My brother, he's a pastor up in, in New York State, and and we were talking recently on this, and he reminded me, like, he's not a morning guy either. Woke up, and he's, he's rushing around, and he's getting ready to get dressed, and he had to put a suit on, and he mismatched. He put on a brown jacket with the blue suit pants, because, you know, it's close enough, it's dark, let's not turn the light on. He talked about the fact that there's been times he woke up in the morning and he put his shoes on the wrong feet. Okay, I'm not a morning guy, but I'm not that thick. No joke. One time he was telling me he put two contacts in the same eye. Like, what happens? You're just kind of, you're out of it and you're startled. Something tells me Peter's not a morning guy. He's certainly not a middle-of-the-night guy. Add that to the very fact that what was the last recorded words? We have the last record of what Peter was doing. He's like zoning out, totally out sleeping. The last recorded words that Peter said was what? If I must die with you, I will not deny. So he has this emphatic statement A lot of emotion, and then he drifts off. So so think about what happens. You have strong, strong emotion combined with extreme exhaustion. Guess what? You combine those two, two things, some pretty crazy stuff can happen. This is certainly, certainly an example of it. All of this causes Peter to irrationally, Sound asleep, there's what? There's voices, there's torches, there's swords that are banging together, there's chains that are being held to, to tie up, and all of this, he, he jumps up, grabs a sword, and, and he attempts to save the Savior and starts swinging his sword. He misses and lops off a guy's ear. There's record in the gospels, Luke chapter 22, verse 51 records it like this. But Jesus says, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Think about, think about the chaos and the fear and you grab and you cut and, 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 and Jesus says, no, no, no more. What are you thinking? The gospel of John records in chapter 18, verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink of the cup that the father has given to me? Put it away. Matthew's gospel in chapter 26 says, then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legion of angels 12 legions of angels do you realize what that means like that one statement let let me give to you a little bit and we think about peter's action right here the word legion is a military term taken by the roman imperial army And it denoted a group of at least, at least, it could be more. Oftentimes it was more, but it was at least 6,000 armed soldiers. One legion is 6,000 men. So one legion of angels would be 6,000 angels. Now multiply that by what Jesus says I can have in a moment. 12 legions, simple math says what? That's 72 thousand angels that my heavenly father can can in a spoken word I can have at my disposal now think about a angel for a moment how powerful is an angel the prophet Isaiah in chapter 37 and verse 36 records that a single angel obliterated in one night one hundred and eighty five thousand soldiers one angel literally dust it An army of 185,000. If one angel had that kind of power, how much combined strength does what a legion of 6,000 angels? So math, I'll do it for you. That is enough force to destroy 1,110,000 angels. Men. And that's only one legion of angels. Remember there's 12 legion of angels, which means what there's 72,000 angels. I'll do the math for you at a spoken word. Jesus could have had what the power to destroy thirteen billion three hundred and twenty million soldiers more than twice the entire population of the world today at a spoken word you understand why he said uh peter put the sword down you're not getting it like like the the chains the the ropes it's only because jesus allowed himself to be tied that he didn't snap chains or the ropes which reveals what thirdly and finally a statement that reveals power a statement that reveals complete control a statement one statement that talks about his total reign Jesus says this day after day I was in the temple with you and you didn't seize me and then he makes this one statement but let the scriptures be fulfilled in a sense, what there has a, there, there has been a script that is written. The script that God has written is the final authority. It, it will play out according to the authority of God's word, not man's deed. Not like, well, maybe if I contribute here or maybe if, if the chain wasn't too strong, I I grew up in a home where my father had full authority That there were times as kids inevitably, maybe it doesn't happen in your home, but it happened in our home where we would maybe squabble amongst brothers and sisters. Just a little spat, nothing too serious, but an argument. And if my dad ever heard, if he ever got word of that argument, he would settle any argument with this one phrase, because I said so. You could, you could refute him with any argument and his final word, his final authority, because I said, so I'm in authority. You're not, you will do this because I said, so you will not say that because I said, so. You realize that when we read this phrase, what? Let the scriptures be fulfilled. It is with all authority because God says, I said so. I wrote it down. This is what it's going to be. To the perfect detail, hundreds of years prior, Zechariah chapter 11 talks about what? 30 pieces of silver? Hundreds of years. That, that that there would be one who betrays the Messiah for thirty pieces. That 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 exact figure. God has a plan here. God has a perfect plan here, even in the midst of chaos and confusion, even in the midst of clubs and swords. There's still something I don't I don't know when I, I think about this. I, I love Peter. I want to. I want to. He did something. No one else did anything. There's a part of this story that I'm like, yeah, let's give. Let's give Peter an E for for effort, at least. He's got passion, and I love passion. Sure misguided, sure misdirected, but there's a little fire in his belly, and we like that. Good effort. You see, that's the problem. That's how we think. That's how I think. Not the greatest idea, but it was an idea wasn't the wisest thing to do but you did something and so we measure it like that I measure it like that and we measure with well at least it's an effort the creator and sustainer of the entire world there's no put it away because what scripture is to be fulfilled and it was amazing in the midst of all of this Jesus touches this man's ear and heals him malchus's ear and heals him in the midst of all of what middle of the night. And I'd be terrified. I'd be frightened to death that Jesus is at such peace. Sinclair Ferguson writes what notice the serenity of Jesus in the midst of injustice. Matthew adds a little detail. All of this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Jesus was given up. Jesus was given over. Jesus would drink from the cup of suffering. Jesus would go to the cross. Jesus would have his side pierced and nails driven through his hands and his feet. Jesus would die. But Jesus would not stay dead. He would rise from the dead. Jesus had to do all of this. Jesus had to suffer in that way. Why? So that you and I would not have to. That's, that's the beauty of this. Be thankful for his perfect plan, regardless of how difficult it looks. Some of you, even at this very moment, you're like, my life is in complete chaos. Yes, you are reaping, perhaps, you are suffering as a result of some of your own decisions, but do you realize, regardless of anything from this day back, that what, when we ask for forgiveness, that Jesus forgives, and he What? He's paid the price that you and I cannot and could not pay. You ever question God's plan? I I, I do at times. You ever doubt the journey that God has called for you to travel? Well, I I certainly have. You ever attempt to solve apparent problems like like the way that you think they should be solved? Instead of trusting and resting in his way and his word, I I have certainly done that. And so this text has reminded me, and I leave you with this, what that God is at work fulfilling every perfect detail of his perfect plan. Remember that God God is at work behind the scenes. You may not know it, but I want you to trust that. And we see it in this garden, in this horrific, horrible, dark moment. God is at work. Secondly, remember as well, God does not need your help. When you ever think like, okay, I'm at the front of the line. People are so relieved that I'm here. No, no, no. Put your degrees away and put your gifts and your talents away. Put your money aside. God does not need your help. But thirdly and finally, what does God desire more than anything else? God wants your heart. He wants all of you. He doesn't want the tiny little extra change that you got, and he'll be happy with that. God wants everything; He owns it all. And so there's this idea that what, rather than finagling our little plan and then along the journey, like God bless this, and then we make our own and we take the steps. Okay, God, now help me out with this. No, 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 no. no. We just, we just literally, we just, we just lean back, and He holds us, and He steers us he points us, and he guides us every single step. of the way, God has a perfect plan, and it's a good plan. It's a plan that rescues us from our sins. It's a plan that allows us to spend all of eternity with him when we recognize how short we are, how short we fall. And yet God loves us unconditionally, and we rejoice in that. So even in this text, which is a hard text, we see God's complete sovereign reign and rule over everything and everyone rest in that. Trust that and be encouraged by that. Father, we love you and we thank you uh, for this, this portion, this narrative of the ministry of Jesus and the willingness that he had to suffer to free us, to forgive us. We thank you for that. Father, help us this morning to realize that we can put our put our little sword away. You don't need us, but you, you want us and you want all of us that so we live in, in obedience and live in submission and we live in faithfulness to you. Thank you, Lord, that you've given to us an amazing message. We need your help to communicate the gospel better in the community you've called us to, to, to live in. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Give us your strength to be faithful and obedient. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.